they haven't been to Great Towers, or they haven't been to the Visitor Center or Forest Hill, you really need to go there and you really need to see what importance that they, they created this legacy. I didn't. All we did as a board is we just enhanced it and made sure that it's going to be here for another hundred years. Hello, welcome to Pocono Mountains Podcast, the final countdown to the end of the year and the number one podcast of the year. It's your host, Jim Hamill. We have reshared these top podcasts about homegrown cannabis, our own Deanna Fontanez, and even some local Pocono Mountain maple. But now we have one of those great historical perspectives on one of our four counties in the Poconos, Pike County. Chris Barrett sat down at Milford Community House with Pike County Commissioner Matt Osterberg on Pocono Perspectives, which garnered the most listens of the year. We'll have more on that in a bit. The Poconos is a year-round destination for millions, with 2,400 square miles of mountains, forests, lakes, and rivers, with historic downtowns and iconic family resorts. It's the perfect getaway. You can always find out more on PoconoMountains.com or watch PTN, the Pocono Television Network, streaming live 24-7. Now, back to the episode. Pike County is home to Milford, Woodlock Resort, the Lincoln Flag at the Columns Museum, Great Towers, Raymond Skill and Dingman's Falls, and Bushkill Falls. Also, one half of Lake Wall and Paw Pack. And so many great spots to check out, like Ski Big Bear at Mastauk Mountain in the winter. It's open for the season, by the way. And Costa's Family Fun Park in the summer. But going back through the years with how Pike County got to where it is, you need to speak with Matt Osterberg. He's a fountain of knowledge. And we're lucky enough to have him as one of our great leaders right here in the Pocono Mountains. Here's a listen once again. Enjoy. The Pocono Mountains is the birthplace to a Pocono wonderland of untold pleasure. Winter in the Poconos, clear and crisp. And call the land of the waterfall. A recipe for romance. So what is a county commissioner and why are you one? So a county commissioner is the administrative arm of county government. Um, we deal with the financial aspects of the county. We fund everything. Our role is, like I say, is quality of life. There's three of us, um, me and two other county commissioners, um, operate that entire section of the county government. There, of course, is the judicial system, which our role with that is funding. But mainly we deal with human services, um, correctional facilities, all of these things that deal with um, the life of the residents of the county. And you're the commission chair, correct? I am the commissioner chair, have been for um, eight years now. How is a county commission set up in Pennsylvania? You know, there are different uh, classes of county, right? So how does that work? Well, there is. We are a class six county because that's all um, controlled by the population of your county. We sit at 58,000 people, so we're on the low side of a class six county. We live in a relatively small county. Um, 58,000 people spread over 550 square miles is really not that you know, it's a big county with not really a lot of people. So there's a lot of open space here in this county, which is what makes Pike County so um, enjoyable to reside in. We're so fortunate today to be with Matt Osterberg. He's the commission chair of the Pike County Commissioners. We're having a conversation on Pocono Perspectives. So Matt, tell us um, why you are a commissioner and what you do before that. So I always was involved in local uh, government and local um, uh, initiatives. You know, so becoming a county commissioner seemed like my next step in my career as a local official. Um, prior to this, um, besides I had a job at Lures Hardware for 35 years, and then I was also, at the age of 28, I became the uh, borough council 
men, and by the age of 30, I was the borough president. I served in that position in Milford Borough for 25 years. Um, over that time, I also was um, uh, became the borough historian. Serving on that board, though, was an extreme interest because I served with many older gentlemen at that time. I was younger, 28 years old. Um, they were my age now, um, but these were longtime residents whose families had been here for generations. And just hearing their stories about Pike County um, and, and the stories that they heard from their grandparents just interested me even more in Pike County history. Um, I'm a Pennsylvania, a Penn State graduate in history, um, so that really played into what I was, what I went to school for. For. So, you know, listening to people like Merritt Quinn tell the story of his grandmother sitting in 1889 at the 100th anniversary of the uh, Constitution, the setting of the monument on Sarah Street. These are, these are coming from um, people who heard this from their grandmothers about what it was like to be living in Milford Borough then um, and how quaint and beautiful a town this is um, and how it developed into what the town is now, which is still a quaint little beautiful town, which is also you know, maybe the cornerstone because it's the county seat of a quaint little um, county like Pike County. There was so much more of a story in, in not just Pike County, but the whole entire region, whether that would be New York or New Jersey, and how we all played into developing this region. It wasn't just Milford that did that. It was all of Pike County. You mentioned 1879, 1889, and we talked a lot about this beforehand, but take us back maybe 150, 200 years before that. What would Pike County have looked like who would have been here at the time, and how did it develop into where we're at right now? So the Pike County region that we know as Pike County now was settled firstly in 1732 by the Quick family. You know, here prior to that and during that same time with the Lenape Nation. Um, the Native American Indians were here. This is where their settlement. Um, you know, there's lots of stories about what went on between the two. And by 1796, the real region of Milford Borough is developed and laid out by Judge John Vittis. So um, one person owned the whole borough. One, bar one person owned the whole borough. The streets are named after his children. Um, the alleys are either named after berries or fruit trees. By 1814, Pike County becomes its own county, and it becomes Pike County, named after Zebulon Pike, who was a hero in the War of 1812. So in 1814, um, Milford Borough becomes the county seat. Influx of people start to come in here. Pike County is formed, and here's the county government now in Milford Borough. We have a population then of maybe 6,000 people, you know, and it becomes a tourist area. Some of the folks watching might hear some squeaking in the background. It's because of the building we're in right now, which is a beautiful building, the community house here in Milford. Folks are really working in it. There are a lot of offices, and you've had such a huge part to play in this building where we're located now. Can you tell us a little bit about it? So, so this building... Was, um, was originally owned by the Pinchot family. The Pinchot family came to this region of Pennsylvania in around 1814. They then developed a business here, um, selling just general goods in the region. They lived on this property that we're sitting in right now. This is the Milford Community House. The story is that it was originally the Dimmick Inn. They moved here, they rented part of the building from the Dimmick family, and then over time they became owners of this. Um, and but it was sat on a different side of the street. It was moved by horse and horse teams, correct? And well, wagons. Is it, that right? it would have been moved in the eighteen in the eighteen nineties. So it sat in the other corner for a number of years where they lived. Where was the community house five years ago, and where are we today in the building we're sitting in? It served very well as the Pike County Public Library for nearly a hundred years. Five years ago, the Pike County Public Library built a new facility just down the street. 
So now the board of directors, which I serve on as the president of the Milford Community House, had to find a use for this building. So we, we partnered with organizations like Pocono Mountain Visitor Bureau, um, Economic Development Authority, and instead of having them located in different buildings in the county, we said, why don't you come here, become a partner with us, help us share in the expenses. So now we renovated the building, the community house board was able to raise funds. We spent right now probably about a half a million dollars fully renovating this building back to 18, I'm going to say 1890s. It's an absolutely beautiful building. I know that everybody's happy that has their home here, like yourselves, um, and we welcome people to come here. So, you know, this was a, a passion of mine to see this happen. Again, this is this is leaving a legacy in this community um, because it's the history of our community and you know and, and celebrating the Pinchos is really important for everybody in this county. Um, if they haven't been to Great Towers or they haven't been to the Visitor Center or Forestal, you really need to go there and you really need to see what importance that they they created this legacy. I didn't. All we did as a board is we just enhanced it and made sure that it's going to be here for another hundred years. So that's that's our one answer to two questions there. The Pinchos Great Tower now that so that really is a connection not only to this area in Pennsylvania but to the whole United States so tell us a little bit about Gray Towers and I want to get back to um, what the Pinchos did here for the community but tell us a little bit about Gray Tower so James Pinchot has a son Gifford Pinchot he uh, talks to his son about becoming a forester. Forestry in the Pennsylvania, in the United States in the 1880s is, is um, relatively new science. It's already a science in, in Europe. He sends his son over to Europe at times to study. He then goes to Yale University, and there they form the first Yale School of Forestry. Um, and Gifford comes out with a degree in, in forestry. And But Gifford's view on forestry is also for conservation. His view is, is that the forest can be used as a productive crop. That we can we can raise trees, we can cut trees down, we can use them into the development and use them for a renewable resource. He develops that whole science and he becomes the first um, chief of the U.S. Forest Service um, under under um, William McKinley and then later under Theodore Roosevelt. And Roosevelt was he? Did he visit? He, he was here. Theodore Roosevelt did visit here. They were they were quite good friends. Um, Theodore Roosevelt believed in that same philosophy of um, conservationism. Um, and Gifford Pinchot leads the charge in that. Um, that's why there's many U.S. forests throughout the nation. There's a couple of them named the Gifford Pinchot Forest out west. I think there's some state forests that are named after Gifford Pinchot. He plays an integral part in conservation. In fact, Milford is listed as the home of conservation um, because of his role in producing, making people aware of that we can have natural resources, we can use them, but we need to also conserve them and also figure out a way to renew them and make sure that they're renewable. You've written four books uh, about Pike County and various places within Pike County, and a lot of them have kind of related to the subjects you just talked about, um, like the D uh, D uh, H, correct? Sure. So it seems like the Poconos early on in U.S. history really contributed to the Industrial Revolution, right? There is no doubt that the D&H Canal drove the Industrial Revolution. So the D&H Canal is a, is a hand-dug canal, first started in 1823, and by 1828 or 1826, it's fully operational. It's 107 miles long with 107 locks. It, it is an incredible story um, of ingenuity and engineering feat that is just, if people don't know about it, they should certainly learn about it because Honesdale, before this canal is built, literally has a small handful of people living there. It's called Dyberry. Honesdale, named after Philip Hones, 
who is the first president of the D&H Canal. He's at also at that time the mayor of New York City. So this was a massive amount of money that was brought into this region to dig this. This was private funding. The story is, is that the DNH Canal is the first million dollar corporation in the nation. The Warts brothers, who owned this corporation on their own, hired J.B. Jervis, that's what poor Jervis is named after, and they build this canal. They also build a gravity railroad. At the height of their business, they are moving four million, ton, four million tons of coal a year. So this is an incredible amount of um, industrial that's moving through in American products, not just coal, wood, Bluestone, everything is going down that canal. When did the industrial piece of the economy here in the Poconos really start to decline? And when did we start to see change, not only for Pike, but the balance of the Poconos? You know, the canal is, is bringing lots of resources and lots of economic development into this region. Every town I've just mentioned to you, there's a lot of money. Over that time, then, the DNH also realizes that the railroad is becoming very important. Now we move into tourism. You know, by the 1850s, Pike County has massive amounts of tourist hotels, and that's another whole industry. Was there something that started that, the tourism process? In the summertime, it would be hot in these, in these cities. They needed to find a place to have a respite. And what better place to come to than the mountains of the, of the Poconos? So I think it was more that they just wanted to be a, a relaxing area um, to come to. Um, in 1920, the, the residents were about 900. But in the summertime, the population of Milford Borough went to 5,000 people. That's how many hotels and rooms there were just in this little, what, half a square mile little town. Um, tourism was an incredible economic driver here, as it is today. You know, it's, it's our number one employer. Um, it drives every other business in this community to this day as it did 150 years ago. Well, I think, Matt, you, above everyone, are so responsible for carrying that legacy forward for successive generations. And before we wrap, which I hate to do because I think we could talk all day, I, I love history. You're just such a wealth of knowledge. I, I'm going to ask you to look in your crystal ball as a historian and as a county commissioner. And if you were to come back 100 years from now and visit Milford again, which I'm sure you'd love to do, what, what do you think you'll find here? I think what we will find is we will find Milford to be in the same condition it is now, which is, and may, and hopefully better with the preservation of what we all have. Everybody loves history. Um, you know, I use a term many times when we talk about the development of the county. We knew, we need to have economic development. We need to have new facilities built. We need to make sure the quality of life, whether that's medical services. But the one thing we need to respect is we don't want to pave over paradise. You know, I know that's words from a song, but that's a really telling story that we don't want that to occur here. So I think what I'll see in 100 years, if I was able to come back, is I think I'll see Milford just in the, the condition that is here right now. You know, we have um, Milford Borough has put in some very strong ordinances for preservation of buildings. because And it wasn't an easy task to do that. And I was involved in that back in 1999 because people are very sensitive about property rights and that. But at the same time, when we do that, we have to remember when we preserve these buildings, we preserve history. And what we do to one building affects the building next door. Um, everything is tied together here, and we need to continue to do that in this community. So 100 years, I envision Milford. The Dimmick Inn will still be here. People can go over there and have a beer. People like you and I will be sit still sitting in this room, um, and it'll just be a the same quaint little community it is today. I, I really have a lot of faith that it will be, but I think people like you who devoted their life to public service and to their communities, 
are, and, and I think the thousands, millions of guests that have come here are the beneficiaries of that. And I, I thank you so much, Matt, for spending this time with us today. And we're so fortunate to have spoken today with Matt Osterberg. He is the chair of the Pike County Commissioners. He is Milford Borough historian. He's written books. And we will show you those books. If you have a chance, you need to buy them. They tell a great story just like Matt does. Matt, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Chris. Matt is such a fountain of knowledge for all things Pike County and Milford, too, as he and Chris sat down together at the Milford Community House, which is where a Pocono Mountains Visitor Center is located right in the heart of town. The best stories come from people you know. Hi, Jen and Brianna. Hello there. And at the Pocono Television Network, we know the Pocono Mountains. Saw you at the festival. Great job. Thanks. And PTN spends each and every day updating you on everything happening across the region. Hey, I shared your post. Thanks very much. So watch us on cable, streaming, and online. We love watching PTN. Us, us too. too. Go to PoconoTelevision.com. PTN is everywhere you are. We're back. Thanks for listening to Pocono Mountains Podcast. I'm Jim Hamill. Staying in Milford and Pike County, we wanted to do a little flashback to our discussion with Milford Mayor Sean Strube from a few years ago. At the time, he owned the Hotel Faucher, and now Milford Hospitality Group has the property, among several others in town. Here's a chat between Mayor Strube and me from another episode of Pocono Perspectives. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again on this edition of Pocono Perspectives on the Pocono Television Network. I'm Jim Hamill, and I'm here in beautiful downtown Milford, Pennsylvania, in the Pocono Mountains, and I'm with the mayor of Milford, Sean Strube. Sean, thank you for joining us here in not only Milford, but your property here, Hotel Faucher. It's a beautiful place, and we appreciate you taking the time out. I'm d delighted that you're here. Thanks. All right. And we want to get an idea, though. How did you come to... Um, take on this property, and not only this property, but uh, mayor of this <laughs> borough as well. Well, I, my story, I think, is a familiar one for many. I bought a weekend home here in the mid-90s. I fell in love with the area, and more of my life moved up here until I came here full-time. I then got started restoring buildings in Milford. We have wonderful sort of you know historic built environment here, and, uh, and I got carried away and ended up in the hotel and restaurant business. And um, uh, several years ago, uh, our mayor uh, stepped down in the middle of his term because he was moving to Florida, and the council appointed me to complete his term. So that's why I'm mayor. Wonderful. So now you're in a full term here. Um, it, it just strikes me that you, you have a sincere love for Milford and especially the history here. I do. I grew up originally, I'm from Iowa, and I'm accustomed to sort of small towns and, and the small town values in the, the best sense of that phrase. And, uh, and I also, you know, my whole life I've been very engaged politically and as an activist. And, you know, I believe if we're to get past the partisan divide and the kind of angry public discourse we so often have in the country right now, it starts neighbor to neighbor. It starts with people relating differently to the people in the communities where they live. And, um, and we're really trying to make Milford an example of that, of how we can transcend other differences we might have to build a better community for those of us who live here, work here, or visit here. And speaking of visiting here, describe to people where Milford is situated, because it's really not that far from right. one of the, I mean, it's the number one city in the country. We're actually, Milford is the county seat of Pike County, which is the only county in Pennsylvania that is part of the New York uh, SMSA, the Standard Metropolitan Statistical Area. 
and uh, we're less than 75 miles from the Lincoln Tunnel from where we sit right here. Um, so uh, uh, in that sense, we, we're, we're very much oriented to New York. You know, at the hotel, we get seven or eight times as many guests from New York City as we get from Philadelphia, although we get plenty of Philadelphians as well. Um, and we're on the banks of the uh, Delaware River, right in the heart of the Delaware River Highlands, which is the area, the north end of the river that uh, has the, the Catskills on the New York side and the Poconos on the Pennsylvania side. Um, and in a community that has long been a, a resort and summer destination. Um, in the mid 19th century, when sort of a resort class emerged, right? You know, before the American Revolution, people didn't vacation. You either had your country estate or you went to Jones Beach with the great unwashed masses. And as a middle and upper middle class emerged and people could vacation and labor organizations, you know, had two weeks of vacation as part of their contract. There were places that began as the first kind of vacation destinations inland from New York. And they were at the end of the railroad spurs. So there was a railroad spur that went up to Saratoga. There's one that went down to the Delaware Water Gap. And there's one that came to Port Jervis, New York, which is just six miles away. So those areas emerged as resort and vacation destinations in the mid 19th century. Um, at the time of the Civil War, Milford had a thousand hotel rooms. Uh, it had mail delivery three times a day and twice on Sundays. Uh, so it was really, you know, and during the Gilded Era, it was like the Hamptons of its day. That's why when people come through the hotel and they see one famous person after another, where the pictures and the old guest registries, um, from you know business tycoons to heads of state to uh, uh, stars of you know stage and screen, um, it was really an incredible destination at that time. And in recent years, a lot of that luster has returned. Um, and uh, and it's fun to be in a in a community that embodies the best of small town America. Sometimes people say it's like living in a Norman Rockwell painting, or it looks like a Courier and Ives print, uh, and it's true. But it isn't by accident. It's because there are a lot of people in this community. Some have lived here their entire lives. Some are new to the community who put effort into it because that's what we value, being a warm, welcoming community that values its history and, um, and is hospitable to visitors. Well, that much is evident here at the Hotel Faucher. A lot of history in this building, but let alone this borough. This dates far back, and, and the French certainly had a big role to play here, didn't they? Right. Well, the borough itself was laid out in the late 18th century, in the 1790s, by a circuit court judge from Philadelphia named uh, John Bittis, but he was also a real estate speculator. So he bought this land, laid it out in a perfect grid pattern with alleys. He modeled it after Philadelphia. So we're actually one of the earliest planned communities. That's why when you drive through Milford and you see these great houses and great architecture, but you don't see garages, you know, with an open door yawning to the street or garbage cans out at the curb because that's all done through the alley system and back. But when Milford really took off was after the American Revolution, um, when it became a destination for a lot of the French colony in New York. You know, the French financed the American Revolution, right? Uh, thank goodness for the Marquis de Lafayette, who visited Milford several times and was sort of the banker for the French and, and, and Benjamin Franklin's close friend. Um, well, to the victor belong the spoils. So after we won the revolution, the British mercantile class in New York was on the outs, right? But there was a great opportunity for French investment and French entrepreneurs and business people. So a huge French community emerged in New York. And this is where they came in the summertime in the fall. This is where they had their hunt clubs. Um, and so this is why so many of the oldest family names in Milford are of French descent. You know, uh, Pinchot, uh, uh, they were Bonapartists who came here and 
1815 or 1817, something like that. Um, but they were only one family of many French families that came here. Louis Faucher, who founded the Hotel Faucher, was French-speaking, but he was Francophone Swiss. And he came here, his wife's family, uh, the Parachet family, had a hotel on this site called the French Hotel uh, in the 1840s. And he came here in 1852, Hotel Faucher, originally as a summer hotel. Uh, Faucher was a master chef for Delmonico's in New York. And Delmonico's um, was the most celebrated restaurant of its day. Um, this is again something that emerged after the French and American Revolution, the idea of a freestanding restaurant that was known for culinary innovation, where you went there because of the food. What we think of today as fine dining didn't exist before then. Uh, it was either in private homes or private clubs. There weren't like just restaurants people walked into. A hotel or a tavern might serve food, but they did that as an accommodation to the traveler. You ate whatever gruel they were serving whenever they were serving it. Uh, and uh, so after the French and American revolutions, again, as this sort of middle and upper middle class emerged, the idea of you know, people who didn't have butlers and maids and cooks at home. Uh, uh, you could go to a restaurant, order a la carte off a menu, a whole list of things. You know, and the Delmonico brothers brought that concept to America in the 1820s and opened in New York. Louis Faucher became their master chef. He then opened this as a summer hotel and brought a lot of that New York clientele out here. Many of them were here anyway, right. you know, and they knew him from New York. So that's where, where the Hotel Faucher legacy became, it started. And then Faucher and his family, his descendants, ran the hotel for 124 years until 1976. So it's one of the oldest continuous you know, culinary family legacies uh, in the country. Um, and because Delmonico's uh, uh, you know, culinary innovation, I, it was the phrase I used, they invented dishes. That's what became the sensation. You know, lobster Newbert, lobster Thermidor, baked Alaska, the hamburger as a sandwich, putting chopped ground beef between two pieces of bread, and of course Delmonico potatoes and Delmonico steak. All these things are sort of the first American culinary tradition that came out of Delmonico's, and they would invent these dishes to attract people. People would be talking about them. Sort of the way we did in Bar Louis with our sushi pizza, which right. is one of our best-selling items, and Condé Nast Traveler called it a culinary thrill. People hear about the sushi pizza, they want to come try it. Um, so that's the, what the Faucher legacy com, comes out of and what we try to maintain today. John, you mentioned legacy and you also touched upon somebody who has you know, a, a great legacy here in Milford, not only Milford, but across the entire country. The father of the conservation movement, Gifford Pinchot, his family lived here. Sure. The mansion still exists, the great towers. It is a beautiful facility to tour, and it is, of course, part of the U.S. Department of Interior. Describe to me Pinchot's legacy here and how that uh, movement uh, has lasted now throughout years. Well, actually, uh, when you refer to Gifford Pinchot as the father of the conservation movement, you're uh, quoting President Kennedy. On his 40th anniversary of the Forest Service, he had helped to found. I have been a governor now and then, he said, but I have been a forester all the time and shall be to my dying day. He was more than a forester. He was the father of American conservation. He believed that the riches of this continent should be used for all the people to provide a more abundant life. And he believed that the waste of these resources or the exploitation by a few was a threat to our national democratic life. 
Pinchot was first, he was the first professionally trained forester in, in the United States. And forestry was emerging as a science, as a formal study uh, in France and Germany in the mid-19th century. And uh, Gifford Pinchot was sent uh, to France by his father to learn forestry. Uh, he came back and um, became the forester for Commodore Vanderbilt at Biltmore in North Carolina. Uh, Frederick Law Olmsted was the gardener who did Central Park and did part of our cemetery here in Milford. And then he put his ideas uh, and his experiments in forestry uh, into a presentation at the Chicago Exposition in 1893. Teddy Roosevelt then tapped him to be the first head of the U.S. Forest Service. And what Pinchot's concept was the idea of sustainable harvesting of natural resources. Uh, back then, no one could imagine running out of clean air or clean water. It just wasn't even part of the conversation or the imagination. What people saw were virgin forests being destroyed, being clear-cut, and then the land eroding, you know, because it really could be destroyed land. You know, in those days, in Pike County, you really didn't buy land, you bought a forest, you know, and then you cut it down, and very often the land wasn't worth paying the taxes on it. So Pinchot introduced the concept of sustainable forestry and, um, and believed that these natural resources should be used, as he would say, for the greatest good, for the greatest number, for the greatest period of time. Um, and in fact, um, Teddy Roosevelt and Gifford Pinchot had dinner here at the hotel one night, and according to an old newspaper article we found from the 1920s, I think, it described how they sketched out on a napkin a plan for the National Park Service, which was sort of John Muir's baby, right? to be part of the Interior Department, because the Park Service, the, the National Park Lands were to be left alone for recreation and scenic vistas and, and that sort of thing. The Forest Service, they put as part of the Agriculture Department, because it was to treat the forest like a crop. The country was growing rapidly. We needed timber. How can we have timber on a sustainable basis rather than destroying all of our forests? So that was more about scientific management, which is what Pinchot was. Uh, and that became part of the Forest Service. The first mass civil disobedience around an environmental issue was here in Pike County when they were proposing to dam the Delaware River and build the Tox Island Dam. And they would have these mass protests and many people would get arrested. This was in the 60s and the early 70s before the environmental movement really started to kick in. Um, and in fact, when, um, when President Kennedy was here, uh, in September of 63, uh, just a few weeks before he was killed, it was kicking off his environmental tour, um, which was an effort that then led to what today we know as Earth Day, which is uh, in April every year. So there's a very uh, deep and rich and fascinating to me history of the conservation movement here that has very important lessons that are only becoming more urgent today. The Gray Towers is now a National Historic Site operated by the U.S. Forest Service. And in fact, it's the only historic building operated by the federal government that's open to the public that is not managed by the National Park Service. Everything else from the White House, the Washington Monument, everything else, National Park Service is responsible for operating those. But this, the Forest Service operates because it's really their spiritual home. And they give a fascinating tour. I mean, it just is so interesting and you know connects a lot of dots. Uh, and, and we're very proud to, to have it here in Milford. And, it's a significant driver of visitation uh, to our area as well. It certainly is. It fits into that experience of Milford where you've got the history and you've got the modern day 
uh, culinary and uh, cultural scene here in Milford. It's really come to um, a great ecosystem, isn't it, working off of each other here. And in this incredibly pristine natural environment, when people ask me or journalists, you know, why do people come to Milford? They're like three buckets. First is the natural environment. You know, a third of the county is state or federal park or game land. Another third of it is like private hunt clubs and scout camps and protected. You know, when the megalopolis from New York, you know, fills in between New York City and Scranton, Pike County is going to stand out like Central Park, like a big patch of green because so much of it is protected. Uh, and with that is the, the, the you know, the, the hiking, the waterfalls. We have guests who will come and see eight or ten waterfalls. They come just for a waterfall tour all weekend. All the river activities, you know, the river, which is two blocks from here. So the first is the natural environment. The second are the heritage attractions. Um, Gray Towers National Historic Site. Uh, the Columns, our county historical museum. Pennsylvania has a lot of local wonderful historical museums. We have a relic here that people from all over the world come to see which is the bloodstained flag that cushioned President Lincoln's head moments after he was assassinated. And there's a whole story on the assassination and exhibit of Lincolnalia from the perspective of a family of actors who were in the theater that night when he was killed and moved to Milford after the Civil War and donated their things. Um, so Gray Towers, the Columns Museum, 75% uh, of Milford Borough is now a National Historic District. We have fantastic architecture uh, by Calvert Vox and uh, uh, Frederick Law Olmsted, uh, uh, Chester Aldrich, John Lafarge, who did the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, Richard Morris Hunt, who did the facade of the Metropolitan Museum. The historic district in Milford is really exceptional. Uh, and the uh, working wooden 19th century grist mill at the water wheel, uh, which is also fascinating because it was clickety-clack with the water running over it just as it did, you know, 150 years ago. Uh, and then the third reason people come here is sort of the cultural vibrancy, you know, ranging from the festivals. We've had an annual film festival for more than 20 years, a uh, music festival for more than 15 years. This will be the fifth year of our Readers and Writers Festival, the third year of our Dance Festival, the second year of our Opera Festival. Uh, we have a real cultural vibrancy combined with galleries and shops and boutiques and some really fun uh, uh, shopping uh, that draws people as well. So natural environment, heritage attraction, cultural vibrancy. And much to your credit, the mayor of Milford, Sean Strube, thank you so much for having us here today. On behalf of Sean, I invite you to visit Milford and to visit Hotel Faucher while you're here. And certainly we appreciate you watching Pocono Television Network. We'll see you next time. Pike County, one of the four amazing counties that make up the Pocono Mountains. Our thanks to Commissioner Osterberg and Mayor Strube. We hope you enjoyed Pocono Mountains podcast. Please remember to subscribe anywhere podcasts are available. Come visit us in the Pocono Mountains. Plan your trip today.